Above the Basement, Boston Music and Conversation. That was a song from the album Domestic called Bury the Body by Ruby Rose Fox. This award-winning singer-songwriter, actor, and artist is a force to be reckoned with. Ruby's deep, unique voice is surprising at first, but she soon pulls you into her resonant sound with powerful lyrics and an amazing vocal range. Ruby pays homage to Leonard Cohen, Andy Warhol, and Roy Orbison in our conversation about singing, acting, writing, learning, and growing. In a little bit, you'll hear another cut called Rock Bottom, and at the end, a great song called O'Rory. To keep up with Ruby, go to rubyrosefox.com where you can see where she's performing, learn how to become an executive producer on her next album, and donate to her new project, The Gifted Voice Program, which is based on the simple idea that not every kid or teen can afford a world-class music education. Gifted offers one child in Boston who cannot afford private instruction, a free voice lesson, or a chance to craft their own songs under the guidance of a mentor. Okay, so here is our conversation with Ruby Rose Fox, recorded at Woods Hill Table in Concord, Massachusetts. Ruby, it's so cool that you're here. It's so cool to be here. Thanks for inviting me. Yeah. Where'd you come from? Uh, Jamaica Plain. Oh, right. Okay. Yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. So, not too far. Yes, you invited us to your house. and I did. We appreciate that. I'm so glad you didn't stuck. because come because this is more fun. Oh, well, good. Well, you've been out here before. Yeah, but I've never been to this cool restaurant before. Yeah. It's really cool. And yeah. you see that ladder and right really there? really quiet. A guy who works here named Adam, who's a great bartender, right? Bartender, yeah. We were just here before recording uh, something else, and he was in the process of making that fork with oh, paint cool. and the roots. So someone designed that, but he's he's actually just... That is freshly painted. You're, you're the That's first beautiful. person to see that. I yeah. love it. It means farm to table. Well, clearly. Sort of farm. <laughs> that, that was that was designed very well. 
roots, the fork, like got it. <laughs> Don't you teach mm-hmm. her daughters mm-hmm. to sing, right? Yeah, in Acton. <clears throat> oh, cool. And how long have you been doing that? Couple years. Have your you... studio is in Acton? No, my studio is in Boston, but oh, the... I teach once a week at a school in Acton. Oh, sorry, that's what I meant. So where, yeah. where you teach yeah. is in Acton. Okay. Mm-hmm. Where you... in Acton? Uh, it's called On Your Toes Dance. So, wait, I'm sorry, dance. you teach dance or you teach I singing? teach musical theater, oh. which is funny. It's not funny. Yeah. Wait, are we rolling? We're rolling. Oh, okay. Now I have to watch what I say. <laughs> no, you don't. If, if, if there's anything that you say that you want us to get rid okay. of, we edit Deal. it out. Deal. We're not trying to do a gotcha for anybody except for maybe Ron. Yeah, so I, I cool. just teach a, a couple classes once a week, but it's fun. Voice and dance? Um, some voice and some dance, yeah. Mm-hmm. But musical theater, I know you were an actor at yeah. Emerson. Uh-huh. Was musical theater your, your no, major? No, my, my major, I didn't like musical theater and sort of... I wanted to do either music or straight theater, serious, real theater, what I thought at the time. So I just studied acting. Okay. I don't know, Ron, if you knew that I used to be an actor. Did you know that? He was an actor. He was an actor. He is an actor still. So you know all about it then. And you wanted to do theater or film maybe? Never wanted to do film. Really? I didn't like the industry. I didn't like the weirdness of it. But you were here in Boston. Did you did you ever go to New York to act? I went to New York for a boot camp program right when I graduated to yeah. sort of meet agents and and I hated it. That's when I made the choice to stay in Boston as like a permanent thing. But did you stay in Boston to act or did you Yeah, I stayed in, and stayed to do theater. Oh, wow. And then ultimately didn't continue doing it. But, how, um, how many did you do it for? I uh, did it for about, let's see, four years. Four years. Seriously, yeah. And then that's when I stopped and started songwriting. When I left the academy, I started a theater company. And so I produced my own, st- I would just produce stuff that I would act in myself. Oh, fun. And then it was after, um, I we did a big, big, pretty big show. And we got some good reviews and, well, reviews anyways. And... <laughs> I remember going to an audition for like a hamburger or something. I don't mean to denigrate actors who do this at all. Yeah. But what? I just. For I, a hamburger? It was for like a. It was like big, a it was, oh, the payment was a hamburger. No, you <laughs> moron. Oh. What, you think actors get paid in hamburgers? What are you, Popeye? What the hell is that? No. I was like, what are you talking about? It's 10 hamburgers. It was. An, it was yeah, I went to an audition for a hamburger. Okay, go no, ahead. No. It was an audition. For like a burger for Burger King or something. <laughs> Good God! And I just I, I quit. I just right there. I just said I can't. I yeah. Can't. I, I was done. And that's the last thing. I, that was the last time I acted. Unless you count this. Yeah. <laughs> that was in 1978, by the way. No, it wasn't. <laughs> jerk. What was the thing that made you decide not to act anymore? Oh, man. Or is this maybe something that's still there in the back well, burner? Well, it's, it's totally, this is totally full circle. Actually, this story that I'm about to tell is one I don't tell that much. Excellent. Uh, there's a lot of things that led up to me finally putting acting down and saying, I'm just writing songs. I'm a songwriter, even though I had no idea how to write songs mm. and could barely play guitar. I just knew that that was the path. Mm -hmm. Um, But it all started actually when I was working with this company called the Actors Shakespeare Project, and they have an incarcerated youth program where they do Shakespeare with incarcerated boys and girls. I was sort of interning because I was feeling very lost. I was thinking about being a Buddhist chaplain. I didn't know what I I wanted to do next. So I was working with these girls doing Macbeth 
It was a girls in a, juvenile or it, a girls it was prison a unit. Detention center, so it was a lock. It was locked up, but it was like in a house, so it didn't feel like a prison, but it was definitely under control. Mm-hmm. And there was this one girl who really liked to sing, and she she was also really having a hard time. And some of the other teachers were working with the other girls. And this one day I just worked with her intensively. And I looked at her and I was just like, you know, you really can do anything you want to do in life. Like you could be a singer if you wanted to. And I just remember having this sick feeling inside because at the time I was like, oh, well, maybe I'll just do this for the rest of my life or maybe I'll do that for the rest of my life. And I had this sick feeling in my stomach that I had all this potential in myself. And I was, can I swear? Yes. I was bullshitting. I was saying I was saying that you can be and do anything, but I didn't actually believe that for myself. And I just had this deep feeling like I shouldn't should not become a mentor until I could be the change that mm-hmm. I was asking her to be. That was the wake up call. If my path really is to inspire young people and become the person I want to become, I need to become that person. And from that day forward, the goal was to be to be able to walk in a room and actually mentor a child and know that I was also following my passion 100 percent. It took that interaction with that person. Yeah, to sort to of see like, that inside. To see that inside myself. That's this is powerful. And yeah. this is after this is after you graduated from college. Yeah, a bunch of years after. But you'd always been singing. I've sung from the, like as soon as I could put a microphone to my mouth. So four or five years old, and I was super dyslexic. So my mom knew that if I was good at something, that she should help me with that. So she, we didn't have a ton of money, but she definitely got me lessons and made sure that I was feeling special in the music department <laughs> so i think your mom knew that there was a power of music that could help people with dyslexia or was this sort of a gut thing no or? because i didn't actually know i was dyslexic until i was 22 so she so probably saw or she knew she there see was something responded? wrong yeah she knew there was something wrong with the way that i thought in terms of like traditional education but she knew i was really smart so None of that was thought out. I think it was just she knew that that it was going to be helpful to my self-esteem if I knew I was good at something. Did that eventually help your reading? Actually, the thing that helped my reading and the reason I only really know that I was dyslexic was because we did in college at Emerson, we did this phonetic pillow work. I was studying accents and we were doing breaking down phonemes. So basically breaking down language and the sound of language. And we would make the sound of a phoneme and then touch a pillow. So basically we were really trying to get these sounds inside of our bodies in a really deep way. Hmm. And during that time, something switched in my brain. I went from probably reading 10 to 20 books a year, but it was each book I read was so I I read all of Chekhov, but that's all I read. And it took me so long to get through any any passage. So I went from that to reading 100 or more books a year because I could read all of a sudden. I was just like, holy shit, I can understand what I'm reading. And it was like this whole intellectual sort of revolution happened in my brain. Yeah, it's really interesting because, I mean, we've talked about this in other parts of the uh, the podcast, but I mean, with rhythm and music, there's a lot of research on dyslexia being very amenable to music itself Mm -hmm. and rhythm. And uh, actually, Sally Taylor, who is a guest on the show, oh, taught, Sally Taylor, she's very invested in yeah. dyslexia as well. I know um, her. When oh, I was yeah? a nanny, 
her kid and the kid I nannied played together. Oh, really? <laughs> That's crazy. <laughs> yeah. Wow. I didn't know that about her, though. If you look up consensus, C-O-N-S-E-N-S-E-S dot org, that's her her thing. That is so cool. And uh, anyway, wow, that's small world. Yeah, really, small, yeah, really small. ATB world. But it fascinates me that you didn't consider music a vocation or anything that you wanted to do so late in life, although you had been oh. singing for a long time. Well, I always, like on all my sheets when, you know, kid, what do you want to be a girl up? They all say singer. Oh, okay. So I knew it from the earliest. And then in high school, I started to be interested more in theater. Probably, I think, because I was in a a ska band. I was already playing in clubs in Boston. So I felt like acting was the thing to achieve because I already was sort of touring and playing music. I remember my drummer at the time was a very intense fellow. And he was like, you have to be one or the other. <laughs> so I was like, okay, I'm doing acting. You have to be one or the other. I have to be you one mean or like the other. Scott or like not a Scott, singer. A band. You have to be intense. You have to be a singer or an actor. And which now looking back is hilarious to yeah, me. But yeah. that's when you left the ska band? No, I didn't leave the ska band until mid college. That's interesting. Ska. Ska. So why ska? I mean, it chose me. Yeah. <laughs> I was sitting in, when I moved, I moved to Brookline from upstate New York, and I was about two grades behind in education and failed out of my math class. So they put me in a study hall to figure out what the heck to do with me. And some kid walked behind me and whispered, I heard you played saxophone. And I was like, I do play saxophone. And he was like, well, show up at this house, this address on Monday night. We're practicing. We need a chick saxophone player. Be there. Yeah. He's like, we think you're hot. So that happens to me like once a week, actually. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so I show up and it's a bunch of boys playing ska punk. And you were on sax. And I was like this chick from upstate New York who only listened to like rap and pop music. And I was like, okay, it was fun. They like went on adventures and were just totally crazy. And I was like, this is like totally cool. Because all my girlfriends just sat around and talked about boys and hair. And, and you like, were going to tour in a ska band yeah, I was playing like, this sax. This is like really, and like they would yeah. just cause havoc around Brookline just like complete mania and I was like this is definitely one something I want to be involved in I tell so. I tell every kid that I meet they should start a band <laughs> I'm not even kidding totally I, if they play the piano I'm like start a band start a band just start a band it's just a creative interesting outlet that's different from anything else you'll do in your life it doesn't have to be academic mm-hmm. it doesn't have to be even thoughtful it just it's just it can <laughs> be just them aren't. it can be yeah. just yeah. Just energy. It's a fantastic thing to do. Even if you suck at it, just I, do it. I totally and it's an agree. experience you'll never forget, ever. The saxophone thing. I, w- I played sax for many years. What there kind? was no, there was no like girl that went behind my my shoulder and said, <laughs> "I hear you play saxophone." <laughs> but asked, what kind of sax did she ask you? What's sorry? I play um, tenor for oh, many cool. years. But I'm intrigued by the ska. It's almost like a uh, it's a percussive mm-hmm, uh, sax, very right? Much, yeah. So were you doing so much of the? Totally, all the lines, all the backing lines. Yeah. yeah, we started when we were fourteen, and like didn't break up till we were twenty-two. So we got better. So at first we were just playing, you know, like it wasn't like crazy until later and then later I actually didn't play I sang after a while so is that what kind of dovetailed you into the next chapter yeah because I knew how to put a band like when I came back to songwriting I knew what it was like to be in a band I knew what it was like to run a band I knew what it was like to go to a show and play a show so in that way it was not easy but 
I could envision the template because I had done it in this other form. But you wanted to change direction as far as what type of music you were doing? Yeah. I didn't know what kind of music I wanted to, to play or make. I just knew that it was important to start writing my own thing. Did, how much of piano? I didn't did play you have? any piano. I just had an acoustic guitar. The times I've seen you play, yeah, you've been playing the piano. Yeah, so was that, is that something you? Picked I started up later on? playing about two years ago. Oh my gosh! Yeah, <laughs> I wish you could pick up an instrument and start <laughs> playing. That'd be great. You can. Anyone? Can. I guess I can. Yes, I shouldn't be so. Remember negative. Ruby's you can. <laughs> doctrine: you can do it. You can do it. Right. I just started playing clarinet, so. All right. I'm, I'm, well, I'm, yeah, I'm you know, ashamed. you have the, the sax chops, though. Sure. Yeah, it doesn't count. That's, That's kind of cheating. Cool. No one really takes up the clarinet. I know. That'd be kind, kind of, of a cool gig for you. You pl- you sing a little and then take out the clarinet. Mm-hmm. You could play the jazz flute. And juxtapose to the lower range, because if you did a baritone sax, it may not be as nice a compliment to your voice. Right, because I already am, I have that frequency level all taken care of. It's a <laughs> it's something that you've taken care of very very nicely. Oh well, thank you. It's very unique. It's fascinating yeah. because it's very unexpected. And you know, it reminded me, I just went and saw Martin Sexton play at, at Martha's Vineyard. And opening up for him was actually Sally's, I guess, her cousin, cousin Isaac Taylor. So he looks like a Taylor. He looks mm-hmm, like his mm-hmm. dad. And the, his voice, though, was so unexpected. It's mm. very, it was not what you expect to come out. You expect yeah. James Taylor or Livingston Taylor's voice to come out. And it wasn't. It was totally unique and wow. I've never heard a voice like that that's so cool and that's kind of like you that's not what I expect to come out of that, <laughs> of that, of that. no it's it's not yeah. and so it's a you get taken aback by mm-hmm. it and yeah. that's something especially if you're a kid you have to have to embrace it or change it right? yeah and I did change it really for most of my life which is why I I mean, I encourage kids now to just use whatever voice they have and not try to gender it one of the reasons I didn't pursue singing was I didn't like the sound of my own voice. I didn't like the manipulated sound I had unconsciously created for myself. In choir, I always sang the highest soprano part. Because, really? Yes, because I was going to be the best Disney princess you've ever met. That's I your wanted dream, to be that opera. <laughs> I wanted to be the prima donna. Mm. And the voice that God has given me was, you know, the parts of witches and whores and old women. And that was not going to happen. I may sell better. made but, it happen, yeah. but I it wasn't authentic. It was sort of crafted in order to around an idea of what I thought I needed to be. And so deep down, I always really didn't like the sound of my voice. Yeah, it goes back to what you said of the girl in the correctional place, because you're listening to your voice, mm-hmm. so to speak. Yeah. But that's like, I mean, how do you know when you're that young what you're supposed to sound like? I, right. I, when I first started singing, in, you know, as a solo guy, I'd sing very low. And you'd never be able to hear me on the on the microphone. Mm-hmm. Then after a while, I figure out where my range was. But yeah. if you're singing up like princess range, you must have a pretty high range. You must have a pretty I, I, I wide can range. Sing high, well, in some of your work, you know, you can where... see that you're yeah, like you're kind of known for that sultry lower voice, and mm-hmm. then you can peek up to those higher tones. Totally, it's something that the listener wants to search for, mm-hmm. and then come back to where you are. It's a it's yeah. a nice change. But that's not where the center of my voice right. is. So, and for some women, that is the, the center of the voice is much much higher. With that low register of voice, what did you find when you decided to to use it? To use it, <laughs> what were the challenges for you, or were there challenges? There weren't. 
That was such a great time period because the second I started singing just the way that I was supposed to, doors flew open. Mm. I would sing and people would go, holy shit, can you do that again? I was literally told by the universe to keep singing. They'd be like, I like that. Whatever that is, do that again. So I got so much immediate positive reinforcement that has never happened. Like, you know, when I sang in the ska band, people were like, you have a great voice or, you know, you're talented. But it was never like, oh, you just shook my soul or like you just made me want to cry. And that's all I ever wanted to do in theater was move people emotionally and bring them through a journey, through a story. And when I sang a story, it was so clear that I could do that through my voice within two minutes instead of an hour. And I was like, oh, this is great. This is perfect. I like this. So it was a no-brainer. Huh. You really resonated with people, and you can see that. Yeah, I, by I, resonating with myself, I think. <laughs> yeah. You know, literally. Talking with someone here that's won the best vocal at the Boston Music Awards, right? True. So cheers to that. And Thanks. what was that, 2015 or 16? Or? Wait, what was last year? So last year was songwriter, 14 and 15. 14 and 15 for best female <laughs> yeah. vocal? Yeah. When you won that award, were there certain songs that contributed to that? Like That contributed to... To the win. I don't know, because people resonate with different narratives. So they didn't say, well, it's, it was this song that sort of spoke to um, us. Or... Musicians tend to like a song called Oh Roy, which is about Roy Orbison. Mm-hmm. But there was never like the one hit song yep, yep. that was just obvious. Everyone had a different favorite, which was very surprising to me. Hmm. Things definitely resonated for different people. I don't mean to keep on harping on how your voice sounds, but I'm wondering if when you discovered that range and how well you did it, did that point you in the type of music you wrote? Yeah, it's, it wasn't conscious. None of it was. I just wrote what came out, and I think that was all interweaved together. I what, what, like, don't you're know. You're coming from a singer-songwriter background, like as far as what you listen to? I did, mean, I pretty much 
for the time I was writing, was exclusively listening to Leonard Cohen. And I've said this in many, many times, but Roy Orbison is just the foundation of everything for me vocally was my first favorite thing I taped off the radio when I was literally five years old. That voice is a big influence on me, more than anybody. And Leonard Cohen, we lost him, what, a year ago? Yeah, oof, that was brutal. What about say. him? Is it is it the craft of the song mm-hmm. and what he says it in the, the song? It was the words or? that got me. Yeah. The way that he twisted a phrase in a way that was just shocking to me. When I first came across him in my late 20s, I was like, what? You can just say it like that he rocked my whole world in terms of wit and heart everything Mm. and he's jewish so there's something about that too a jew who's obsessed with jesus (laughs) resonated with me who's jewish and was raised evangelical so yeah well i mean jesus was basically a jewish carpenter exactly so he was a big part of and it still is still is a muse for me but i can hear that kind of leonard what you're talking about the way he's saying i can hear that in the way you sing because it's not just the way you lilt and form your words it's part of the story of the song too Mm -hmm. it's not just i don't know well you know who just talked about that last week we were talking to don henley Oh, cool. Who was like the last guest before Ruby. He was talking how talking about how the, the words would marry not only the music, but the note. So yes. that the, yes. uh, the way that he learned over time about songwriting was not just about the actual phrasing, but there were certain types of, back to phonemes. Mm-hmm. So there were certain parts of a word that needed to be married to a certain note, mm-hmm. which to me is fascinating absolutely why does that sort of strike a chord with people or hit the nail on the head i don't know well it all goes back to shakespeare it goes back to the Mm. original creation of language and in the english language the words that we use we're now in this age of post language post meaning of language like we're at the point where news isn't news presidents aren't presidents and everything's a non-something and A lot of this younger culture is so sarcastic that literally they say the opposite of what they mean. Like, you're ugly means I like you. And, well, maybe that was always the case. (laughs) But in Shakespeare, there's not really sarcasm. If ever used, it would be so rare. When you say something, you mean it to actually communicate what you feel inside. Music is meant to be convey feeling in an authentic and meaningful way. I always, I tell my students this, that take the word ocean You'd be like, I'm going to the ocean. But if you break down the word ocean, ocean, ocean sounds like the ocean. And you could say, you know, this is the root of the problem. Or you could say, this is the root of the problem. The root. There's so much life inside of language that normally we bulldoze over because we don't need to use it in the same way as the original intention and DNA of the word. Yeah, because now we tweet it. Because now we tweet it, and it's not even, we don't even hear language anymore. There's a lot of cultures that talk about how their language is musical, how it has the inflections. And music. And there's more to it than just the actual word. And English is musical. That's why Shakespeare translated it as terrible. It's meant to be used in this beautiful way. And I think songwriters, if used well, melody and language and rhythm all all are one thing to express in service of the idea, in service of the story. So it's so cool. It's so fun. It is cool. I mean, that's 
going back to your so as a singer and then you sort of you went through academically going to or wanting to be an actress and then coming back to being a, a songwriter and a singer it all sort of makes sense because right. i mean totally. you're, you're processing the words in a certain way to yeah. convey them yeah and that's what an actress or actor does but. but also i'm letting as i'm singing i'm letting the words and the language flow over me just like i would if i was doing to be or not to be so in a way i'm doing actually very much exactly the same thing i was doing in theater how much work goes this is kind of a rhetorical question but i just want to throw it out there how much work goes into that marrying of your voice mm. of this of the notes to the words do you have the words and then you just hope you get that magic that you can marry? Or you, is there a scientific thing there that you're trying to do when you're, There's no when you're writing? There's no science. I wish there was. That would be so awesome. Like, I just finished a new song. I could tell you about that process because every process is different. I was playing in my studio and this, the word matador came up. It came out in a way that there's something in that. And so I didn't know what a matador was, so I looked it up, and I was like, oh, it's a bullfighter. Because I didn't know much about it, I started doing all this research. I probably watched seven documentaries, read Ernest Hemingway. To me, I started becoming obsessed with the relationship between the bull and the matador and the intimacy of it. And and then all of a sudden, this song, words started to come. I would take words straight from people's mouths, um, I would take things that came up for me while I was watching the, the material and I would take those words and played chords that felt good. I would start, something started to come, then I would wait until the next thing came, like what the next phrase was and kind of mm-hmm. blubbering because it's hard to explain, but it's mostly just like, I know when the next thing has been written or not. Was it um, a sound or was it a melody? It was a melody, yeah. yeah. That sort of built on the next, That's, on the previous yeah, melody. Yeah, yeah. Like I Strung wrote this line. I'll say, I'll say. Oh, do you want me to sing for you? I'll sing. For That'd you. be great, actually. Yeah. So it was like um, the first line of it. Sort of like I felt this sort of like Roy Orbison beat, like a bum 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 bum, bum kind of beat. And then I sang, They say I never tell a story right anymore. And then I was like, okay, well, who's speaking? Who's the narrator? Who's saying that? It must be a love relationship. I must be saying this to a beloved who I've been in a relationship with. And then the next line came. And I didn't actually weave in the word matador until the end of the chorus it sort of created itself. I let it create itself, and that's how I make songs. The bull and the matador, are they the, uh, is that the couple? Well, it turned out that I'm the bull and the matador is my lover or my beloved or whatever. I, I was struggling with that tension, trying to figure out who I was in it, and it was very clear that I was the bull. So that tension is in the song. The politics are in the song. The love is in the song. The death is in the song it's all there so it's just a very mysterious process boy it's it sounds exhausting <laughs> yeah it really does yeah i don't think i've ever done i can't say in any song i've written i've ever done research <laughs> on the subject yeah it's been like oh that rhymes <laughs> look at that <laughs> so, look at that but I mean, I don't. I don't mean. I'm not making fun. No, no, that's fine. It's that's fascinating. Yeah. It really is because sometimes you just think that songwriters certainly will put a lot of thought into the into the lyrics, but 
the story behind it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And yeah. that everybody's different. Yeah, yeah. Everything that is different. And but. again, like, I think I probably approach it from an actor's point of view. I'm like, who am I? Who's the narrator? What's What have they been through? What's their history? What time period are we living in? You know, like, constantly asking those questions. But that's an actor's sort of, like, dilemma. So mm. not every songwriter should or needs to be that way, you know? Yeah. We'd never have the Ramones if, if that was the case. <laughs> right, exactly. <laughs> right, totally. Well, tell me about these Steinems. Do you guys work together currently? or? Yeah, yeah. they played at our last, they sang at our last show. Yeah. I'm sorry, explain who the, who the, the Gloria Steinems. They're, they're the name of my backup singers. <laughs> the Gloria Steinems. Really they're the Gloria yeah. Steinems. And is it kind of short, the Steinems? Or, I don't know, I saw uh, that somewhere. Yeah, the Steinems. But. I just call them the Steinems, but their yeah. full name is the Glorious Steinems. That's right. good. If it's more formal. But yeah, yeah it was hard because I didn't want to call them the girls. I wanted to put them in a powerful position no, on it's, stage. No, it's, it's perfect. I mean, it's so. like they're backup singers, but like they are like <laughs> the person you yeah. think of with like you know, total feminism. feminism. <laughs> yeah, it, it enabled us to wear fabulous sequin dresses and be stand up for women's rights at the same time so when you played just recently at the mfa you had the full band there too right? i had the full band there, how'd that yeah. go I'm it was really nice i'm sorry i didn't get it it got it rained there. out and we had to play inside and it was so nice i hate the outside hate I playing hate outside playing is playing tough outside all of it was freaking great that was a big honor just because i think i think museums are just the best it's a fantastic museum yeah i love the mfa well it's a great and elizabeth stewart gardner is hosting a lot of music too. oh yeah we played there too yeah yeah, yeah. oh i, I saw yeah that, that was right. fun yeah. that was also a total honor one of the museums i haven't been to oh my gosh i know see a show that's a good you have good, to go good excuse to go i think i'm still under suspicion for those missing paintings mm. <laughs> that's why i'm staying away another thing i wanted to talk about are the fantastic videos you do sure and I mean, obviously your acting comes out in that. And actually the one that really stood out to me, and there's, they're all theatrical and interesting to look at, is the one, I think it's in black and white. You just stare in the camera the whole time. Oh, the Die Pretty video, yeah. Yeah, Die Pretty. So that's based, I stole that idea from Andy Warhol, who did Edie Sedgwick. At the time, I didn't have blonde hair, so I recreated myself to look as much exactly like Edie Sedgwick. And he called them moving portraits and he had bob dylan do right. one and they just stare at yeah. the camera so, for like a good long period of time yeah, yeah. just stare I and him. i had studied meditation so that was not a big deal for me i like that a lot i thought it was interesting and it's funny how you doing Nothing. not much can really kind of make it not want to look away it's yeah. just you kind of yeah minimalist but yeah. i kept on expecting like, you to start lip syncing and yeah, you never did the other yeah. videos are fantastic. Thanks. I mean, it's, it's the flower petals and it's yeah. you in costume. I mean, there's your acting career yeah. coming coming to the forefront sure. there. Yeah. How brave are you when you do that? Pretty, I'm pretty brave. Yeah. Do you feel brave when you're doing it? Well, yeah. But it's do you feel more comfortable after you've done like 10 of them? Definitely me and my videographer have become very close friends because of it. <laughs> yeah, probably very close. Yeah, f- he's had to... to he's yeah. had to film me in gold body paint and a duck in a tub and uh, electroshock therapy. Right, electroshock therapy. So, I mean, I put him through hell. So we've become very close. But yeah, like in the Frankenstein video, my tooth popped off because I was like trying to eat chicken and I was like crying and eating chicken from a bowl. Mm. And it was like dark, man. It was so dark. But we had fun. I have seen that one, crying and eating chicken in a bowl. Yeah, you have to watch the Frankenstein video. But we're, we're the MTV 
generation. MT- we were the MTV generation, yeah. like the original MTV generation, where yeah. we watched music videos all the time. Yeah. And I was five. Now I, I was five, and Chuck was uh, fifteen. Uh, yeah. <laughs> I, I, now I don't. I couldn't tell you any videos. That yeah. Now. Well, because there's so many. Do you know what the I first video was? was? Uh, oh. I do. Thanks. No way. You know really? these. You know. And it, yeah. That's you know not someone true. that's not yeah. a millennial in the room. That was the first. That. that was the first one video to be on MTV. The radio star. Yeah. Wait, that, that was, was the first music video. On, totally. That was the first one aired on MTV. Yeah, we saw it in 1980, like live. Oh <laughs> Believe us, we're like we're, a Wikipedia for it. <laughs> <laughs> wow, that's amazing to me. What a cool artistic. I was nine, and I was to like, come yeah, out yeah, with yeah. with a bang. Yeah, totally. Yeah, you do everything yourself. You you don't have a company working. I have a for booking you. agent. You're a booking agent, but that's it. But as far as your image and everything that you're doing, that's you. Mm-hmm. And it's very well done. Thank you. Okay. The first thing that you see when you go to your website is you there. And, uh-huh. you actually, and I read something earlier before I saw that where you said, uh, music is free now and I'm okay with that. Mm-hmm. And I don't know if you're in a small majority of people who are okay with that, but yeah. it's certainly something well, we talk about a lot, yeah. right? And it's this the way it is, right? What are you right. going to do? Well, it's, it's I'm not reality. okay with that, but it's it's what it is. Right. So it's either we fight it or we. But right now you have a new way. you have a very interesting model. 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 Thank you. You have an interesting yeah. model. Mm-hmm. It's not an, a a GoFundMe or no. anything like that. It's something that you're doing on, by yourself. Yeah. And it's a it's a great honest video of you looking at the camera and saying, "Look, this is the situation," and. I want you to help me. Yeah. And it reminds me of that. Oh, what's her name? I'm not going to remember her name. She did a TED talk. Palmer. Amanda. Amanda Palmer. Yeah. She did the same yeah, kind same of thing. Idea. Right? Yeah. Same idea. Yeah. Basically saying you have to ask if you want help. We were just talking about that. Yeah. yeah. That's, but that's yeah. it. That's, there's a fear of asking. I know. And I get it. But when you can do it, it's kind of freeing. It's, yeah. It's hard to ask because you know that you know, a hundred other bands in Boston are also crowdfunding their record. Mm. So you have to really believe in that what you make produces value for other people. I don't know all the mm-hmm. logistics and you may want to describe sure. it, but it's a monthly thing. It's a monthly thing. So, so it's like NPR you know, and Michelle over here is a member. Oh, good. I'm going to be a member. <laughs> so, so you can do different tiers, right? Different tiers. First of all, if you're a member the second I make a new record, you get mailed free music. You get mailed the new whatever you want. Um, the actual physical yeah. artifact? Mm-hmm. And you get basically access to my new reality television show, which is like... <laughs> what? Tell us about this, So too. I've been making vlogs on a regular basis. One was every day of the tour. A vlog. A vlog. So Video I blog. get on and I just talk about whatever comes to mind. And like this. Yeah, spider eyelashes, finding eyelashes and thinking they're spiders or... Uh, I talk a lot about meditation and I talk a lot about my personal issues and how I'm overcoming them, hopefully to inspire other people, being brave, blah, blah, blah. So you get access to me, basically, which I think is a value. Yes. And and you get show discounts. So you get, if you're an actual Ruby fan, if you're not a Ruby fan, it's not worth it. But if you're a Ruby fan and go to shows, you actually save money because I can work with the promoters to give people discounts to shows. So at the end of the year, you're actually probably breaking even if you were going to buy things anyway. Wait, but what was I going to say? Yeah. You don't really get much, you said. Yeah, you don't get much. What did you say? You don't get 
You said you. I, I said you, you started with I saying you don't, you don't get, get much, much, and then you surprised us with saying you really do get something. You get a lot. Wait, what was I about to say? I was <laughs> what do you get for like a hundred bucks a month? Oh, 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 oh! I was going to say you don't get anything different by tiers because I just felt like that was weird. I didn't want to tier it out like you get special things if you give more. Right. I just, just wanted it to be a community of people who. Oh, I thought it said five and ten. And it 15. does. It does. But you, but you don't get like extra things. The person that does five a month gets the same benefits that a person twenty. A month we'll get. Oh, like, okay. All like right. That. So it's sort of pay what you want type of yeah, thing. It's yeah, it's sort yeah. of like pay what you can. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Because I know like a lot of people can't afford five bucks a month. So sure. I don't know. It felt weird to do like a thing like you mm-hmm. get this and you get this if you can do five, 10, 15, 20. I like that idea. But it's been amazing. The thing that's been the best thing. It makes it so you're not shooting for this like super famous, like I need a million people to follow me. It's about concentrating your attention on like Right now, it's a hu- about 100 people that are super fans. I can concentrate my attention on the people who support me the most. And that's so fun. And they give me so much love. And I give them love back. And I give them demos that I'm making. And it's really given me true hope. Like, I really feel hopeful about my life and about my career because I feel like it's this self-sustaining system where um, when I give, the members feel appreciated. Well, it sounds like it's obviously financial would be great, but it's not just about financial. It's it's not that. It's really about a community. You're really sustaining a community of people that value your what you produce and your art. Right. No matter what it is. It could just be... So you just want to put out and you get instant gratification of people who you know are going to be captive on And I'll probably give them the whole record way before it comes out. So speaking of the record, uh, the Boston Foundation, you got the took care of a book, what, a third of the album? A third of the album. The Boston Foundation Mm -hmm. did. Can you talk, what is the Boston Foundation? They're uh, just a non-profit Non-profit. and they fund a lot of things. Helen Spaulding was a a board member for many years and she was, uh, she started Spaulding Rehab. Oh, and cool. uh, so they do a lot of philanthropy for their, yeah. they're connected to the Wang. Mm-hmm. So a lot of arts in Boston and, yeah. and academics. I mean, that was huge. Like normally those kind of grants, this was a freak grant. I mean, I saw it and I was like, that is mine. Because grants for individuals have been non-existent for years. If you're an established artist who makes new work, we're interested in nurturing your career. That is unprecedented. <laughs> Well, I mean, especially nowadays, right? Nowadays. Yeah. My professors from yeah. college used to live off those grants. Yeah. I also read, so I'm not a lucky person. I'm not a person who wins things. You're in a roll. Yeah. That's great. Well, I think it has to do with the fact that I've just like gotten alignment with myself. Yeah. And you work your ass myself. Off. Yeah, I work really hard, but I also <laughs> am uncompromising. And I just follow my passion and my heart. And I work really hard. But, you know, I really struggled for a long time in my acting career and in my life. Nothing seemed to ever go right. My name was never on the list. I never got the award. I was not that person. And something shifted when I came into sort of alignment with myself and was willing to just accept myself more and more. Well, I think you're a testament to many people out there that may not realize that now or they can look inside themselves. I mean, certainly this sort of circles back to that initial story that you, I think, said you never told Mm -hmm. about working with those women. Yeah. And actually tonight when I get home, I'm launching my charitable version of Ruby Rose Fox, which is going to be called Gifted. The Nazis this weekend put me over the edge. I was going to wait 
wait to sort of put this out until a grant came through, which I was hoping for, but I don't know if I'm going to get or not. But I'm going to start, which is that it's voice lessons for kids, girls or boys, who can't afford it, who want a real education in singing. So I'm going to let people buy a voice lesson. Donate to that, right. And then we'll make a video. And I've always wanted to do it. And so to bring the story full circle, I finally feel... Like, I'm the person I knew I was. Oh, I'm going to cry. Uh, I feel like I'm becoming and have become the person that I knew that I was those years ago, but needed to fill through action. So that's going to be the next step is figuring out how to give back and, you know, live in this world where what town you happen to be born in may determine whether you have access to a great music education or not. There's also your, to finish my thought on the one third taken care of by oh, the Boss yeah. Foundation, you can also donate yep, you to can, purchase almost like purchase a song, right? Yeah, Every, you can buy, you can be an executive producer an executive and then producer your name will song. be under the song on the record. You're in the process of recording that right now? Yeah. And how long have you been recording it for? I, on this last tour, I had a come to God moment and called up my producer and co-writer and really good friend and drummer Dave and said, we're starting over after recording three or four songs. Wow. And I said, we got to do this thing the right way. So we started over and it's we're recording it as if we're recording to tape. So we're only doing one take of everything. We've only done two songs so far because they're so laborious and that if I mess up, we're starting over. Right. <laughs> There's yeah. no cutting into it. So um, well, it's interesting you said we're starting over after three, four songs and now you can't start over. Yeah. When you're gonna record <laughs> you song. Can't start. Yeah. So it's just this totally magical other kind of paradigm shift that we're going through as learning and producing. I'm hoping it will be done and ready to release it this spring. And I think it's going to be released in a very, very non-traditional way. Really? Yeah. Mm. That doesn't, something doesn't surprise me about (laughs) that at all. So I'm really excited. The idea was that it's, it's not going to be a pop record. It's, very intimate. Uh, it's supposed to be something that's also physically felt in your body. We're exploring that ah, right okay. now. Yeah, that's right. a cliffhanger for you. <laughs> well, it's so great to talk with you. Thanks for yeah, having yeah. me. It was Absolutely. great to talk to you, too.
Find out more about Ruby at rubyrosefox.com and the many ways you can support not only this wonderful musician, but also her gifted voice program. Go to abovethebasement.com where you can sign up for our newsletter, listen and subscribe to our podcast, like our Facebook page, follow us on Twitter, and look at all the nice pictures we post on Instagram. We are everywhere. On behalf of Ronnie and myself, thanks for listening. Tell your friends and remember, Boston music, like its history, is unique. Above the Basement Boston Music and Conversation is recorded at a beautiful Woods Hill Table restaurant in West Concord, Massachusetts. Woods Hill Table is honored to have been awarded three stars as the most sustainable restaurant in Massachusetts by the Sustainable Restaurant Association. The food is organic, locally sourced, non-GMO, and is absolutely delicious. Chef Charlie Foster focuses on seasonal ingredients and their own grass-fed livestock is raised on the farm at Woods Hill in Bath, New Hampshire. Go to woodshilltable.com for reservations.